hello, and welcome to the Should I Go See It podcast, where almost every other Friday we take a deeper dive into the one-sentence reviews on shouldigoseeit.com. This week we'll be discussing The Flash, Asteroid City, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and more. I'm your host, Bill George. With me, as always, AJ Rebecca and super producer Craig Stanton. Hey, boys. Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> I'm sweating my balls off. That's, that's summertime feeling. I think you were going for a, a can opening sound, but that nothing really came through on that one. Well, yeah, I try to time it with a Indiana Jones whip and then like a a can cracking. We can do that in post, right, Craig? Yeah, I'll take care of it. I'm just sweating. Bill, how are you, bud? Craig? I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for asking. How have you been? Cool. Great. Awesome. <laughs> you know, uh, celebrated our uh, nation's independence uh, this week, back-to-back World War champions. Sure. Flex. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but it was raining. It was trash. What did you do to celebrate, Bill? I mean, AJ, I celebrate America every day. So for me, it was just a Tuesday. You know what I mean? Not really a... Not really a ton for the fourth. Uh, I do, however, have a tradition where I do give the speech from the Independence Day film uh, to my staff at work. Oh. On, on the 4th of July. Holy shit. How's that been going over? So. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the older, the older you get, the older you, the longer you do this, the further removed this gener- that generation is from the movie you're quoting. It's a big problem, AJ. It's a big problem. I've been <laughs> trying to retire this tradition for almost 10 years at this point. Uh, the movie oh, wow. came out 27 years ago at this point. <sighs> and the people that I work with tend to be on the younger side. And most of them are clueless as I present this speech to them. Um, 100%. Rousing though it may be. Yeah, I can't they, even imagine. They are just watching it at this point for the spectacle, less so for the content. Do they think you're reciting like a logic poem, like an intro to a, like a Drake song? <laughs> I have no idea. I have thought about changing it up. I've thought about trying to find something else to do. Like, yeah. At the end of the day, even though I am overdoing it, like I am over it, um, it's easy for me to do. It doesn't take a lot of effort or time. And it's something enjoyable for the staff who, you know, it's not a fun day to have to work on. So it gives them something. So here I am still doing it. Um, And yeah, I don't know. One of these days I'll find something else to do, but. I wonder how many members of the staff think that, not that I doubt their intelligence, but I just wonder if there's anybody in that audience who believes that you are reading from the Declaration of Independence. (laughs) About the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind? (laughs) I mean, Uh, I don't know. Just curious. uh, Would love to take a poll on that, an anonymous poll. That's a great point. I mean, what are are the other options for, like, besides... Not many. Like the Declaration of Independence. Like, are there any other movies that, like, have this? Yeah, doesn't, like, Matthew Broderick have a pretty good one in Glory? I don't know. The closest that I've, the one that I've come closest to. But that's a Civil War. That's not the Revolutionary. The closest one I've thought about is Captain America gives a speech in The Winter Soldier that's pretty good, where he talks about uh, the price of freedom is high. It always has been. But it's a price I'm willing to pay. Uh, which is one of my favorite one of my favorite lines of all time. More of a tweet, less of a speech. Yeah, but you can't wear gray sweatpants during that one because the whole staff can see your raging erection. <laughs> That's my favorite line from the speech. There's more to the speech than that. But the problem is, as good as the speech is, it has not, it doesn't say anything about America, Fourth of July, Independence. Like none of that is in there. It really only is American because it's Captain America saying it. Sure. So 
Uh, I thought it also doesn't end on any sort of a crescendo. He, it just kind of ends, which is also problematic. Yeah. Versus the ID4 speech, it ends on today we celebrate our Independence Day, and I time it with the music, which crescendos, and it's a great little moment for all of us. I can't find anything else that does that, so yeah, I gotta. I gotta. You either gotta stick it out or you. Pull it. Pull the ripcord. Yeah. Just get out of there. Or you yeah. just transition right into like, okay, team, here's today's specials. We're doing a uh, carbonara <laughs> with shrimp. Um, Piccata, 86 to swordfish. I want you to all push the fucking cod. It's going to go. It's going to turn. <laughs> yes, chef. Knives sharpen. Let's keep our fucking, let's keep our shit together. Okay, let's talk about uh, movies and TV. Bill, what have you been up to? What have you been doing lately? I want to give a shout out here, the friend of the show, uh, Carly. Uh, are we doing last names? I don't know if we're doxing people or not. Uh, we'll stick with Carly. Let's do it like it's talk radio. Carly from Carly from Westfield. Carly from Westfield. Uh, shout out. Oh, Carly from Westfield. College, uh, in Westfield. Anyway, mm. she yep. was recently on a trip to Portland, Oregon, and she was in a big bookstore, mm. and she texted me and said, "I'm at this store that sells like bound movie scripts. Would you be interested in any?" And it was one of the greatest texts I've ever received in my life. I had, I had her on the line, like, sending me photos of the shelves, like, and I'm zooming in, trying to pick and choose, because I can't make her carry it back, 100 pounds of movie scripts. <laughs> so I narrowed it down to three, and uh, finally recently connected with her to get them handed off. And so now I have bound scripts of Interstellar, Social Network, and Reservoir Dogs uh, in my house. And they have been wow. a joy to flip through. Uh, one of these days, I'll like actually think about sitting down and watching one of them while leafing through it. Oh God! Because it's not, you know, it's the written, it's the written screenplay. You better put them in those plastic uh, sheets. Yeah, yeah like Pokemon <laughs> cards. Uh, <laughs> it's the written screenplay, which obviously can change on the day. So, like already in some of the scenes that I have like picked out in red, there's like slight variations, and so it's kind of fun to see those. So it's really cool. So shout out to Carly. I appreciate uh, picking those up for me. That is sick. A few follow-up questions. Are these actual, like, are there, are there notes written in them? Like, are they on-set used scripts? No, 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 no. They are, they are, uh, they are facsimiles. Okay, they're not like. Scripts. They're not. This is what we call a bootleg operation, AJ. This okay. Is a... They're not like a, not yeah. like a Nolan like... Redbound, like. No, God, no, God, okay. no. They were like okay. 20, there's like 20 bucks a pop fucking off the shelf. It's not. Wow. Talk about it's not memorab- it's not memorabilia. It's an artful version of selling DVDs on the subway. <laughs> yeah, okay. right, right. It's not memorabilia okay. by any means. But I've tried to find scripts online, and a lot of times you can find like a PDF of it. But usually it's old versions. Like these are seem the most legit ones I've I've come across for some of these movies. So very cool. Uh, okay, so thanks, Carly, for the scripts. Way to go, and Carly. And BG it. Uh, in the production notes, it seems like you've also watched a show that everyone uh, had watched except for you. Yeah, apparently. Uh, I've had many people in my life tell me I need to watch White Lotus. And I usually am on top of HBO prestige shows, Sunday night shows. But I skipped White Lotus because I think I had a bad experience with... God, what was it called? Pretty Little... No, not Pretty Little Liars. Big Little Lies. Big Little Lies. I, I watched the first episode of that, and it was just rich people and their problems, and somebody got killed, and I was like, by the end of the episode, I wish they all got killed, and I just didn't care, hated it. And so when I saw the ads for White Lotus, I was like, oh, great, another rich person drama. Like, I just don't care. So I just skipped it. 
And then again, I had multiple people tell me, you got to watch it. So I went back. They're short seasons. The first season is, I thought, good. It was a good show. Season two was excellent, which every single human being I talked to that I said I'm watching White Lotus, everyone responded, season two is better. And they were correct. Season two was better. Um, but I'm glad I watched both, and I look forward to a third season. So, yeah, glad I got caught up. It's a good show. Uh, are they related, one and two? One character carries over, but at the end of the okay. day, they're really more anthology. The White Lotus is the name of the chain, so to speak, of the resorts. And so the first one takes place in, like, Hawaii, and the second one is in Italy, but they're both White Lotus resorts, quote-unquote. Oh, okay. Otherwise, they're just various human dramas amongst the guests at these resorts. Overlapping vignettes of the lives of the people that live. Yeah, exactly. They kind of run across, you know, they run into each other throughout. They weave in and out throughout the, the weekend at the resort. And they did bring one character back from one to the other, but otherwise it is standalone. So is season one even necessary if you were to jump in? Um, technically, no, but you would miss Asking some backstory on one of the characters, that's all. Jennifer Coolidge's character uh, carries over. So she would show up in season two and you'd be able to figure it out, but like you wouldn't know her already like you do if you've seen one. Well, Bill, hold on to your balls. DC Studios has knighted a new Clark Kent and Lois Lane. Wow. David Corenswet and Rachel Brosnahan will play the coveted parts in James Gunn's Superman Legacy. This movie is the first film of the first stage of the full DC relaunch. Rachel Brosnahan is uh, the more well-known of the pair, having won an Emmy for her work in The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Meanwhile, uh, Cornswet was recently in the film Pearl and TV shows such as We Own the City and House of Cards. Bill, you are the Man of Steel expert. Give it to me straight. I'm excited. I'll be honest. I'm excited about it. Uh, that being said, I don't know that much about either of them. I mm-hmm. haven't seen either of them in too much, but I find that for me to be a good thing. Um, I didn't really know Henry Cavill too much when he came in to the role as well. And I think having a no name for Superman is good. I think that role, uh, if you bring a lot of baggage to it, can be very distracting uh, for such a, such a high profile role. So I'm excited about it. I know you are the Rachel Brosnan expert amongst sure us. Am. So I'm curious your take on hearing that she will play Lois Lane. Fucking love it. I love it. I love her. good pick. I love everything about her. She is absolutely incredible. And I am so excited for her. I mean, I know that I've been begging the two of you to watch Mrs. Maisel, and you haven't, which is fine. Um, But she uh, is electric in that show, and I'm, I'm... hopeful that she can bring some sort of um, that energy in that on-screen gravitas, if you will, to being Lois Lane. Uh, We've seen a million Lois Lanes over the years. We've seen a million Supermans. um, And it's just another, uh, you know, another version that we get to kind of see from the ground up. And I have truly very low expectations about this new venture into into what DC's doing in this whole reboot. So, like, I'm excited for both of them. Um, I'm, I'm more excited for her because I couldn't tell you. I don't even know what the hell this guy. I, I've, I've seen pictures online, Bill, and he looks he looks kind of like Henry. 
Yeah, he looks like somehow the DC execs went back in time, got Henry Cavill from 10 years ago, and brought him into the present. Yep. Uh, it just looks like a young Henry Cavill, which is fine. Superman Superman has a look. It looks like if you typed in Henry Cavill young into an AI image generator, <laughs> you're going <laughs> to get him. Spit it out. Get. Yeah. Uh, which is fine. That's I mean, Superman has a look, and they're hitting it. Um, so, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited. I, th- I think if anybody is going to figure it out, hopefully it's James Gunn. Obviously, I love the Superman character. The difficulty has been always writing of that character. Once you get outside of the origin, nobody really knows how to write Superman. It's tricky to, to write for as a, a god or a Christ figure. There's not a lot you can do with him. But if you do the origin well, um, I think he's, he's one of my favorite characters. I love, I've read every comic origin of Superman there is. Uh, and you can do some really, really good things with it. Whether they go into the origin, I don't really know. But you can do a really interesting Superman story if you do it right. Um, but most people don't, so we'll see. Yeah. Uh, in other news, AJ, uh, esteemed actor Alan Arkin passed away recently. Uh, he has an extensive filmography, but I'm curious, what will you most remember him for? Uh, top of the head, knee-jerk reaction, the heroin-loving grandfather in Little Miss Sunshine. I mean, he was just perfect. Yeah, I think, didn't he get, I think he got Best Supporting Actor for that. I think he did. Yep. I mean, but he's been in, I mean, you're going to rattle off a whole bunch of other shit, but he was in so many amazing films over his career. Yeah. For me, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is the one that comes immediately to mind. I just grew up watching that movie all the time and he's in it and he yells at Ed Harris about Gestapo tactics, Gestapo tactics. Like there's just some classic lines. Uh, So I'll always think of him in that. And the other one that I always think about is Edward Scissorhands. He plays the father in Edward Scissorhands, who is so, like, deadpan and unfazed by Edward Scissorhands. And there's one of my favorite edits in film history where he says, uh, when Edward Scissorhands is going to start a business grooming hair or dogs or whatever, and he's like, well, Ed, it looks like you're taking a trip to the bank. And then it just smash cuts to a gray building with the words bank on it. It's just one of my favorite shots in movie history. And he kind of transitions to it. So I'll always remember that as well. I will also say he delivers the, the, uh, the best line in Argo, which is with a mouthful of cocktail shrimp, he turns to, I think, a reporter or someone and says, Argo, fuck you. He's saying, what does Argo stand for? And he goes, I don't know. And the guy goes, no, really, what does it stand for? He goes, Argo, fuck yourself. <laughs> Which is the best. Is the best. The best. Don't remember much about that movie, but I do remember that. Uh, R.I.P. For sure. All right, uh, Bill. We get a lot. We get a lot of movies to talk about today. Uh, we're sure going to be do. talking about uh, the Flash, Asteroid City, um, and Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, and then we'll do a quick lightning round because we uh, we've been on a little bit of a sabbatical, and there's a lot of things that we need to catch up on. So, the Flash, the the anticipated. Last hurrah in the current DC Cinematic Universe, um, according to IMDb, imdb.com, Barry Allen uses his super speed to change the past, but his attempt to save his family creates a world without superheroes, forcing him to race for his life in order to save the future. Bill, should I throw a chair at a karaoke night and see this? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I gave it a yes, and I know that's, I don't know, slightly controversial, I guess. It's not making a ton of money, so maybe people don't like it as much, but I really liked it. Uh, I was wildly entertained, and now after seeing it, I understand why it wasn't canceled or recast. Like, I get it, because Ezra Miller 
terrible human though they may be, is magnificent in it. There's like no way around it. Like they carry the movie in a dual role because they're playing current Flash as well as running into the past and running into a, f- a different multiverse version of Flash. And it has some of the best duplicate actor visual effects I've ever seen since The Social Network, essentially. Uh, like, you forget that it's, it's one actor. Like, it, it's crazy. Uh, so I really, really enjoyed it. It's obviously the last hurrah for the DCEU as we know it, a.k.a. the Snyderverse. Like, that is now over with this movie. I think there's one more Aquaman movie, but, like, this, this is, like, the one that has some crossover. It's basically it's, over. It's done, yep. Um, just to give you a quick story rundown, it basically follows a version of the Flashpoint Paradox, which is a famous Flash comic where Barry Allen realizes that he can run through time and decides to use that to save his mother, but in the process messes up the timelines and the multiverse. And for those unfamiliar, there are multiple Flashes throughout the history of DC. This one is Barry Allen, who's kind of the most common one in pop culture. And the backstory is his mother is killed when he's a kid, and his father is wrongfully arrested for the crime, and Barry goes into forensic science as a living, always kind of working in the background to try to clear his dad. And then one night in the lab, a lightning storm hits, lightning comes through the window, electrifies the chemicals that he's sitting under, they all fall on him, and he gets access to the speed force, and that's how he gains his powers. So they cover that a little bit as well, but that's the, that's the Flash story for anybody who's unfamiliar. All right, Bill. I got a few questions right off the bat. Okay. Uh, in in video game culture, there's a term called review bomb, where like a game will come out, and because of news they heard around the developers or how they treated employees or just bugs and shit, they'll just go on Steam or video game platforms and just bomb it to all hell. We're kind of seeing this right now with the Flash, Rotten Tomatoes. There's a lot of people that are going on that are just burying this movie because of Ezra Miller's. Uh, yeah. Off off screen, off screen issues. Uh, antics, issues, whatever. You talk always about separating art from artists, uh-huh. but I feel like in the last three to five years, it's kind of like a one strike your out policy. We just saw it recently with Jonathan Majors uh, after he filmed Creed. He got arrested arrested for domestic dispute, and basically every project he was on. Um, has been dropped, including they're trying to figure out what he's going to be, his role as King the Conqueror in the MCU. So, like, I know this was a moneymaker for DC because, like, this, they put a lot of eggs in this basket. They they kind of wanted to tie up a whole bunch of loose ends. But in doing so, it's kind of a reputational damage they just kind of did by just saying, like, at the end of the day, folks... It's just about money. It's, it's, it's really about money, right? It's just money. There's a product that we have that we need to sell. What are your thoughts around them going through with putting this movie on, um, knowing all of the things that Ezra has done in the last year, two years? Um, and, and what's your take on it? I mean, my take is well known. I don't really follow the page six stuff. I, I don't really care. I, I look for what's on the screen. Um, when I do hear about the terrible things, obviously it's upsetting. But again, when I'm watching a movie, I'm watching a movie. And I think the tricky thing for DC was most of that came out mid or post-production. So the movie's already in the can. And obviously, there's a lot of post-production on a movie like this. So they were still doing effects and everything else. And again, now that I've seen the movie and I see how good Ezra is in it and how much I like the movie, I understand why they kind of just put their head down, damage controlled, and tried to push it out. I think 
what they didn't anticipate is the amount. So the movie's not doing well. And I think there's three things to that. One, the Ezra piece of it, for sure. I think there's more blowback from fans than they maybe anticipated for it. Two, the DCEU they've already announced is being reset. So I think there's a lot of people who are like, why am I going to bother seeing this Flash movie if it essentially is meaningless? And then three, there hasn't been a good DC movie leading up to this. So it's not like, you know, you just saw Civil War and now you got to see what happens. Or you just saw Infinity War and you got to see Endgame. Like, there's nothing leading up to this. It's just kind of out of the blue. The last few DC movies have been duds. So again, there's nothing drawing people back. So I think all three of those things have compounded to make this movie fail um, for all intents and purposes in terms of the money. But again, for me, I thought it was entertaining. Michael Keaton back as Batman was obviously fun. Slides right back into the role. They added a new uh, actress, Sasha Cowley, as Supergirl, Kara L. And she was great in it, uh, which was a nice addition. I think the movie is, it has a lighter and breezier tone than most of the Snyderverse stuff. Uh, and it was enjoyable. I will say, full disclosure, there is also an element of this that I that is some personal bias for why I like this movie so much. So the movie, and this is going to get dark and I apologize in advance. The movie is him running back in time to try to save his mother's life. My mother passed away four years ago at this point. And so there are scenes where you have Ezra Miller being able to spend time with his mother again or have one last conversation with his mother. And those were so emotional for me. And not only that, the weirdest thing was there was a plot, not really a plot, but like a story element where he has a gift from his mother that he cherishes. It's a, it's a stuffed animal monkey named Monkey. And he gets mad at the other Ezra Miller who doesn't take care of the stuffed animal because he, in his multiverse, he has his mother. So there's like a little conflict there. When I was growing up, I had a stuffed animal monkey named Monkey. Like my first word was monkey. Whoa. Because of it. Whoa. And so when they're putting this in the script and he's talking about it, I, I literally thought I was being punked. I'm like looking around the audience like, is this real life? Is this actually the script of this That's movie? Spooky. It was so weird. So that like, again, even more fucking waterworks from, from yours truly yeah. in this movie. So Okay. Jesus Christ. Definitely deep connection to it. But trying to separate myself even from that, I think it was very entertaining and well done. Um, wow. Okay. I don't even know. I mean, I had a few other questions lined up, but I feel like that's a that's a. It's, it was unreal. I'm telling you, it was unreal. Um. Okay. Let's move on. Let's move on to Asteroid Fair City, uh, the newest film by Wes Anderson, according to Google Movies, because IMDb is run by a bunch of fucking amateurs. Asteroid City is about uh, when world-changing events disrupt the itinerary of a junior stargazing convention in American in an American desert town in 1955. So much better, Bill. This is getting really bad reviews. But comma should I go see it? Question mark. Well, first of all, there goes our potential IMDb sponsorship. But uh, I gave this, I gave this a yes, a soft yes, mind you, but a yes. And that's because, as we've, we don't have to go super deep into this because we've talked about it probably every episode, but Wes Anderson does a very specific thing. And you either like that thing or you do not. Uh, and I do. So I liked it. His usual players are in the movie. He has a stable of actors uh, that he uses regularly. He's added some great additions in this movie, such as Tom Hanks and Maya Hawke and Steve Carell. 
Um, the conceit to this one is similar to uh, Budapest or French Dispatch. It's a story within a story. In this case, it's a behind-the-scenes TV show about a play. And so there's interstitial scenes that are in black and white, 4-3, that are the TV show. And they're talking about the play. The bulk of the movie is the play, which is in normal widescreen and color. Wait. Um, I am um, an idiot. <laughs> what? Explain that one more time. So there's... It's a... There's, it opens... It's a movie about a play within a play? No, it's a movie about a TV show about a play. So there's a TV show that's m- m- black and white. It's in the style of like a 50s documentary about a playwright and his play. Those scenes are short. They're kind of interstitials that go along. But then they cut to the play itself. And the play itself is shot as a movie. And that's what you're seeing. And that's widescreen color, the whole thing. The color okay. grading in the movie, a uh, little, like f- little bit too much for me. Little too intensely quirky. Like, yeah. I get it, but like a little much. Um, but it's solid. A lot of good laugh lines. Your usual deadpan delivery, sight gags, good soundtrack. Everything uh, center framed. Yeah, of course. Zoomed in. Yeah. Title my, cards. My biggest knock against the movie is he uses title cards for various scenes and act breaks. And it actually makes the pacing of the movie feel slower to me because it'll say, like there'll be a title card smash on the screen that says act one, scenes one through three. And then you go into the movie and you get like three scenes and you're like, kind of okay, we're in it. We're like, we're going. And then all of a sudden, boom, smash again. Act three, scenes five through eight. And you're like, oh, okay. And then, like, we get a couple more scenes in. You start to get some momentum. And then, boom, another title card. And, like, all it did is remind me how much longer we have in the movie. It didn't help. I don't think it added anything for me personally. I get that it's about a play, so they're trying to, like, show the play structure. But to me, it was annoying. Okay. So that's annoying. The orange and teal color grade extremely annoying what else the length it's a it's just shy of two hours and i feel like this you you hit kind of peak wes anderson whimsy around 95 minutes and then it starts to grate (laughs) on you uh for me at least okay so like it's also just like french dispatch it's just like a little longer than it needs to be the uh all that being said i think it's mid mid tier i would say budapest is still my favorite i think rushmore and life aquatic are both up there i think Bottom tier is like Darjeeling and Isle of Dogs. And I think everything else is kind of in the middle, and this is in that middle pack. Um, last movie we will be talking about is Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. According to IMDb.com, Indiana Jones races against time to retrieve a legendary artifact that can change the course of history. Bill, should I go see it? No. No, you should not. This is a classic example of I see it so you don't have to uh, type situation. I could not find it in me to care about this movie uh, at all, really. Um, There are multiple fatal flaws in this movie. Line them up, Bill. Knock them down. (laughs) First, just to give like the the synopsis, it opens with a de-aged indie, Harrison Ford, during the fall of Berlin, they retcon in a super important artifact. Then we go to Indy's 
present, which is 1969, and his goddaughter, who's the daughter of the friend in the flashback, has new intel about the whereabouts of this artifact, and he's basically pressed back into service to make sure it doesn't fall into the hands of a Nazi played by Mads Mikkelsen. Wait, the Nazis are back? That's your setup. Nazis are back. Mads Mikkelsen, villain of every movie ever made, is back uh, as a Nazi. But there's a couple issues, a couple big, big issues with the movie. One, it does not... They should have stopped at... Oh, no, go ahead. Well, we can get into that, too. But it doesn't justify its own existence story-wise. Like, it's not a proper handoff. So, like, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is in the movie as a new character, the goddaughter of Indiana Jones. She's great. She's the best part of the movie, first of all. Um, But it's not really, like, a handoff to her. She's not taking over the series or anything. But it's also not a full retrospective or proper send-off for Indy, I don't think. So, like, it doesn't really need to exist. It's there just to make a fifth Indiana Jones, essentially. What I would have liked to see, and I know this is crazy, and I know that they can't sell tickets this way, but how, how, how dope would this have been if it, if it felt like it was, just a, if it was just a new IP with a new adventure series with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, and then, like, it's like a split, unbreakable situation where you get to the end of the movie... And then there's a connection, and you're like, holy shit, I've been watching an Indiana Jones movie the whole time. Like, if it was a surprise, that would have been sick. I would smash that like button and subscribe. I think that's a phenomenal idea. Okay, but they didn't do that. But of course, they're not going to, you can't get asses in the seats if you're not putting Indiana Jones at the top. Here's the thing The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was fucking atrocious. Abomination. What did they, what did they think was going to happen 10 years later by trying to do the exact same thing by making an Indiana Jones movie that we didn't need or want that the, the trilogy itself ended in a way that we're good with Indiana Jones forever in perpetuity to the end of time. Well, here is, I think this leads to fatal flaw number two and film crit Hulk writes about this uh, on his blog. So feel free to read that if you want more detail, but he put it very succinctly, which was the director choice was the other fatal flaw, which is James Mangold. And this is not a knock on James Mangold. I love him. Walk the line. Obviously great. 310 to Yuma. Hidden gem. If you haven't seen it, he's a psychopath. Uh, Logan. One of your favorites is James Mangold. But all those movies, all those movies James Mangold makes, he has a way of grounding them. That, that's his thing. Like, Walk the Line takes Johnny Cash, big personality, grounds it. Logan, obviously outsized comic, brings it down to real life, makes it dark, gritty, grounded. Like, that's his thing. And he does it really well. And I think the idea was, here's this great, talented director. Give him the Indiana Jones property. Fucking see what happens. The problem is, what people like about Indiana Jones is like the, the crazy Rube Goldberg action sequences, the flights of fancy that you get with Steven Spielberg that capture your imagination, and we get none of that. This movie is boring. Like It's two and a half hours. I must have lost at least 15 to 20 minutes falling asleep around the end of Act One. Like It is boring, which is the cardinal sin of an action movie. And then you add in the fact that there's tons of effects. Half of it looks like it's shot on the volume. Half of it looks like it's shot on a soundstage with styrofoam rocks. It's, it's, it's not good. It's not good looking. The de-aged Indiana Jones, I'll give credit, that looked good, but it's still the 80-year-old voice coming out of him, so that was fucked up. Yeah, Harrison Ford uh, is so old. <laughs> like, we all watched... Didn't we all watch... Uh, what yeah. was that show recently? Where he's the therapist? Shrinking? Uh, like, shrinking. He's a thousand. Yeah. Uh-huh. Like, what the fuck? 
Yeah. He's a grizzled, grizzly, grizzly fuck. Yeah, yeah. It was not, yeah. it was not good. It was not good. Uh, didn't like it. I went back and rewatched Raiders, like, in anticipation for this. Raiders still holds up really well, but this is just unnecessary. Uh, in anticipation of not watching this, I watched uh, The Last Crusade, my favorite Indiana Jones movie, which you texted me you and was like, me to watch. are you sure you like this movie? <laughs> And yeah. I'm like, yeah, dude, it's my favorite. I hadn't remembered it. I mean, I saw it, I'm sure, in full at some point, but I was like, I'll go back and rewatch it. AJ says it's great. So I rewatched it. I didn't really like it. I'm realizing I don't really like any of the Jones movies. <laughs> uh, I think I, I just don't really like the formula. And I think that's part of why Dial of Destiny the, didn't work for me is because it followed the formula, except less less entertaining. The, the text thread was like, just watched... Do you watch Raiders, right? Yeah, I watch You're Raiders, like, yeah. Watch Raiders, still holds up, fucks hard. And then I was like, watch <laughs> Last Crusade. And he was like, okay, gonna watch it. And then like it was like, wait, what? Are you sure you like this? <laughs> this movie's stupid. It doesn't make sense. And then it was like the last one was like, I don't think I like Indiana Jones. <laughs> and I was like, holy shit, that escalated quickly. Dismantled an entire film franchise in the course of like six text messages. It really fell apart for me. It really did. When they show, in Last Crusade, spoilers for a 30-year-old movie, when they show up in the cave and there's this guy who's like been protecting the fucking chalice and he's got a freshly trimmed beard and, and goatee. It's like, what? Like, I just... They, yeah, but they put a ton of powder on him, so oh it looks kind of like a ghoul. Oh, my God. It's so dumb. It's so dumb. Yeah, but Indy knew what the right chalice was I that know. caught the blood of Christ. It's the fantastic he's, elements in it. At the end of Crusade, at the end of Crystal Skull, at the end of Dial of Destiny, they go into these fantastical elements that are just so beyond the pale, even way beyond even what they do in Raiders. I don't, I don't know. It doesn't work for me. Anyway, that's my speech about Indiana Jones. It needs to end. All right, a uh, quick little lightning round. You've also watched Elemental, The Blackening, Blackberry, and No Hard Feelings. Out of all those, which were duds and to skip, and uh, what's worth the time uh, at the theaters? Uh, so these are all comedies, and comedies are the most difficult movies to review and even talk about, really. So I kind of bucketed them together. Uh, no Hard Feelings with Jennifer Lawrence is the most recent one to come out. I gave that a yes. It was just, you know, refreshing, actually, to see just a rom-com, or really more calm than anything. And Jennifer Lawrence, as you know, a bona fide movie star, carries the movie on her magnetism alone, even where the script is like not great. There's a couple physical gags that are built around being funnier because they last longer than you think they're going to last. But if they don't land from the jump, you're just kind of sitting in it. You know what I mean? And unfortunately, there's a couple of those. But there's some good lines in the script. I laughed out loud. I think if you see it in a crowded theater on a Friday or Saturday night, I think it would kill. Um, so I give that a yes. Uh, the Blackening is like a horror comedy satire about a group of uh, black friends that get together in a remote cabin in the woods uh, to celebrate Juneteenth, and then things start to go horribly wrong. And there's a lot of... Um, there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot of social commentary in it. It's really smart. It's really funny. The tagline for this movie was, they can't all die first, which I thought was the funniest <laughs> thing I'd ever seen in a trailer. <laughs> yes, exactly. A lot of meta humor, a lot of joking about the fact that they're in the cabin. So like a lot of meta humor. Um, really, really just smart movie. Really well done. So highly recommend that as well. And then Blackberry 
is a comedy, some drama. It's a dramatization of the rise and fall of Research in Motion, or RIM, the company that made the BlackBerry. Oh, the BlackBerry movie. Yeah, yeah. It kind of fell into the air category where like some of it's a little apocryphal um, dialogue-wise taking place in the 90s and early 2000s. Um, But it's not nearly as... I didn't bump on it nearly as much as I did with with air. Um, But it's really entertaining. Just a murderous row of character actors. Like the cast is so good. And it's a great story because it's a story that I lived through but I didn't like live it you know what I mean like I was alive during it and kind of like knew about it but it wasn't something that's like super intimate to me where I'd be picking out tons of stuff that didn't work so like it was just kind of a fun reliving of of stuff I kind of knew so I really enjoyed Blackberry um the no in this lightning round is Elemental which is Pixar's latest film which is a rom-com with no com uh didn't laugh a single time it's, it's a movie that tried to do too much. The movie includes a lot of subtext that speaks to racism, classism, immigration, choosing your own destiny, father-daughter relationships. Like, they try to throw a lot into this movie. Jesus Christ. I know. It's like the last season of Ted Lasso. <laughs> They're trying to throw a lot into it, uh, and none of it really worked. The effects are cool, obviously. It's Pixar. Um, and it's about, you know, different elements coming together, and we have a fire a female fire protagonist and a male water protagonist and it's a Montague's Capulet situation. And it's just, it's just not that good. It's like bottom third Pixar, to be clear, like third tier. Also, side note. <laughs> no, wait, wait, wait. There, there are times where you are so relatable in how you can break movies down to make it to like the core of their <laughs> essence. And then there's other times where there's like this sheer kind of like twattiness about your fucking what? sensibilities that you talk about a Pixar movie in, in, in Shakespearean <laughs> fucking terms that makes me want to reach through the screen and smack you in the face. <laughs> I thought that was an apt comparison. <laughs> anyway, the other side note about this movie, I saw it at a Regal as opposed to my usual Oh, my AMC. God. <laughs> and let me tell you a little something about the Regal cinema. Tell you, me. Were you, were you taken hostage? I know. <laughs> you can't control the back of the seat and the footrest yeah, separately. You've done, you've done this. So you've if you want to lean back, you have to put your feet up. And I find this unacceptable. It also does not include the Nicole Kim and intro, which I am very accustomed to. Nor do you get any rewards points. Yeah, we. I joke that. <laughs> I just joke that it must be you're like you're like you know, you feel in a position where a predator might grab you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm a stranger in a strange yeah. land. Anyway, okay. uh, not good. Pixar. It's it's actually their worst performing movie ever. So that tells you a little bit of what what, what you need to know. Losing it. Can't blame. Yeah, Camp. they lost their fastball for sure. Can't blame COVID. All right, Bill. Uh, for our last segment, Netflix and Bill, what are you watching on TV? I watched a Netflix original film, Extraction 2, which I gave a no. This is the sequel to the original with Chris Hemsworth. Um, I had no recollection of the original, to be honest, uh, but I watched the second one, and it's another John Wick impersonation. Uh, a lot of the action scenes. But how did they make a second one when though he dies at the end of well, the first do you, one? Do you really see him die, though, AJ? They find a way. The whole first act is him uh, rehabbing from his potentially... From death. Oh, so they... they potentially just, grievous injuries. The, the Skyfall uh, it's, Yeah, it's a classic Skyfall situation. Uh, a lot of the action scene, scenes are shot as, like, fake oneers, which is kind of cool... 
but also super distracting. Like when they deploy it once, it's one thing. When you do it multiple times, it becomes super gimmicky. Like normal viewers may dig it, but for me, all I was looking for were the hidden cuts by the third scene that they did this with. Like it was just, it's annoying. Uh, so that bothered me. I gave it a no. I got some hell for it too. Okay. A lot of people were saying that like, don't expect Citizen Kane. It's a good action movie, blah, 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 blah. But again, I just, it's not worth it. Fair. I, st- I, stand, by, I stand by that. I stand by my no. What, what, what else you got? <laughs> Black Mirror season six came out, five episodes, watched all of them. The first one is like all-timer, Hall of Fame. S tier. Black, Black Mirror episode. Second one is very good. Third one's okay. Fourth and fifth are duds. So mixed bag, mixed bag of a season. Craig, do you agree with that um, breakdown? I'm having so weird little side story. I I don't know why or how, but like the way that all the episodes were presented in Netflix, we watched them all out of order. Not that it matters in Black Mirror, but we okay. I don't okay. know. We got all fucked up, <laughs> so we we watched them in a crazy we watched them in a crazy order. We could I think we could just use the names. Yes, Joan is awful was fantastic. Uh, yep. I could sort of take or leave the rest, if I'm being totally honest. Um, That's fair. I just don't... My favorite part about Black Mirror is the tech angle, and there was very little, if any, tech angle to any of these, um, with the exception yeah. of Joan is Awful. I'm trying to think of... What did you say the second best one was? Second one was second one was Locke Henry. Oh, yeah. That's a far, distant, distant second, though. That one was kind of fucked. You're like, whoa! Sure. Uh, yeah, like, exactly, exactly. I like that. Definitely, I like... That. like Good rug pull, but other than that, it's like, eh. Yeah, and then the third was Aaron Paul in space. Oh, yeah, the space one was also decent. Space one I thought was okay. But you, I feel like you sort of knew where it was going, like, right away. There was really only sort of one surprise in there. And again, I, I like the the dystopian tech stuff is what brings me back to Black Mirror, and they didn't really deliver with that this season, I thought. Doesn't mean it was bad TV, but it just wasn't what I was you know hoping it would be. Uh, and then, AJ, uh, another thing I watched on Netflix while we're on Netflix and Bill, uh, I watched the three-part Arnold Schwarzenegger documentary. Oh, die. get down. <laughs> get to the chopper. <laughs> uh, I'm a cop, you idiot. It was good. It was well put together. It's super. Is it about his life? Yeah, it takes you through his life. Oh. Super one. It's super one-sided. He's the, like the main interviewee. <laughs> they don't interview his ex-wife or his kids. Um, it's just like some colleagues and childhood friends control the narrative. <laughs> the best part about that that whole thing, sidebar aside, is the fact that like it took everyone twenty five years to be like, "Holy shit, his son looks nothing like <laughs> Maria Shriver." And then there was like, "Oh, pull up a picture of the housekeeper," and they were like, yeah. "Holy shit!" They addressed that kind of. Did you know that, Craig? Uh, first time hearing of it. Uh, he, not my governor. Full so. on affair. Full on. Full on gut his house. The, the 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 house cleaner pregnant yeah yikes yep. so the it's a th- it's a three part episode or a three part series three episodes each an hour the first one is about him as an athlete bodybuilding which was insane and uh, you know as an aspiring bodybuilder myself I learned some things um, I started taking steroids it's a real game changer and then <laughs> uh, episode two is obviously the highlight because it was focused on his movie career and I grew up on his films I've seen Terminator two probably more times than any other movie. And then episode three was the weakest. It was about him as governor, and then it goes into the scandals and family life and recent years, which I really don't care about. Uh, but it was interesting. It was well done. As an Arnold fan, I, you know, I derived enjoyment from it. The fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger was the governor 
of California. Of California. For like a really long time. I just had to Google it. 2003 to 2011. That's a long time. It's... Yeah. It feels like the scene in uh, Back to the Future where he's like, he was the president. It's like Ronald Reagan. He's like, the actor? Um, Like, it feels like that. Honestly... Like Arnold Schwarzenegger, the governor of California. What? I don't th- see you wouldn't you wouldn't think it's crazy when you watch the doc and you follow his life. You wouldn't think it is as crazy. Who was the wrestler that was the governor of Minnesota? Jesse Ventura. Jesse, Jesse the, the Body, body Ventura. Ventura. <laughs> that's that is also nuts. But California's California, man. Like that's a fucking that's a big job. It is I don't a big know job. what's going on in Minneapolis, but not as much as what's going on in California. Anyways, that's just crazy. I mean, Jesse Ventura is one of the craziest fucking people in the entire world. Quoted by saying, win if you can, lose if you must, but always cheat. Jesse the Body Ventura. Oh, Christ. Uh, And AJ, the final TV show that I know we all watched is The Bear, season two. Did we ever? Come on. Best show on TV? Come on. Come on. Yeah, I have... The best show on television. I have many thoughts on the show. Just... No spoilers. I think it was phenomenal. Uh, I know we all love the show so much that we want to be able to talk about it amongst people who have seen it and and in front of people who have seen it and be able to get into the details. So we are contemplating a future episode where we go hard on it. But I'll just say right now, I thought it was a fantastic continuation. Uh, I don't even... I can't... If we can't do spoilers, I have nothing to say other than... When people who've never worked in the restaurant industry are like, this show is one of the best shows of all time, you know how fucking great this show is. And the the mm-hmm. layers mm-hmm. and the, the way this season was set up compared to last season is just, Bill. Yeah, outstanding. 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 If you haven't watched a bear. Craig you're, Craig, you're the one that even turned us on to it, I think. What's your take? Well, you know, Bill, I wasn't going to bring that up, but I will say <laughs> now that you've brought it to the fore is that this is a show that I informed both of you about. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thank you. And I take Thank great you. pride in that. Um, I thought it was really good. Uh, Bill, sometime last week you sent us an article about, I think it was an AV Club thing, talking about how they wished it was yep. um, a weekly release as opposed to a bingeable season-long dump. And, and I think looking back on it, when I watched season one, not knowing how good it would be until I was done with it, it would we watched it on a sort of casual pace, maybe one episode a night, maybe skipped a few. I don't remember, but I, we definitely weren't like, Oh my God, we got to watch the, you know what I mean? It wasn't like that. Right. Right. I agree. So wholeheartedly with that take of, you know, wishing it was a HBO style every Sunday night thing. Cause I feel like I, I my l- lack of impulse control made me like just rip through it. Like I was eating an entire fucking sleeve of <laughs> yeah. Oreos. Yep. Like it was just like, Man, like I, I want to go back and rewatch it again because, like, yes, I enjoyed it quite a bit, but couldn't savor it. I don't really feel like I appreciated it, uh, yeah, as much as I could have. I could make a painful uh, fine dining uh, analogy here, but I think the audience gets it. I think it's, I think it was a huge miss for Hulu in the sense that there is fucking nothing else on TV. It is a barren landscape yeah, out there, good point. and they would have kept the social media buzz like news cycle for weeks where every week everyone would be tweeting about what an amazing, because now that it had caught on after S1 season one. Oh, huge like, hype into it going. Into it's got it, yeah. all the buzz and they would have no competition right now, especially with the writer's strike and everything else. Like the fact that they didn't do it week by week is astounding to me. Not to mention the fact that like 
I feel like it was like the NBA finals had just wrapped up. The Stanley cup final had just wrapped up. Like we, like there's really nothing else on TV. Yep. There's, you know, you know, there's just nothing. There's baseball, <laughs> you know, if you're into that. Um, yeah, HBO sh- HBO shows had just wrapped. They just wrapped Succession and all that stuff. Yep, Succession, of course. Nothing else on. Ted Lasso. Everything's got a nice bow on it, and they literally held, like you said, the, the sort of social media buzzy thing for like 10 days, maybe? If that. And now if we're that. all yeah. on to the Could've next been weeks. It's, it's a bummer. So that would have been good. I did enjoy it a lot, a lot, a lot, but I, I wish uh, I... It made me want to go back and rewatch season one as well. And yeah, I, that, I agree with that as well. Um, all right, Bill. Uh, tickets. What are, you gonna, what, are you, what are we doing? What are you buying? What are, we, what, what are you selling? What are you buying? What am I buying? I got few, I, so I got the normal future tickets, Oppenheimer, Barbie, all that. But yeah, the only we've ticket... we talked about it the last fucking 17 weeks in a row. Well, that's because I bought them early. The only ticket that matters, AJ, is Mission fucking impossible the best franchise in the history of cinema i am torqued for this movie i have avoided spoilers i've avoided trailers i've avoided commercials i've avoided behind the scenes footage they keep showing in front of all these goddamn movies i go to see and i am pumped not only that the movie opens on a wednesday which is not unusual for summer releases sometimes they do that um I had tickets to see it on Monday, get it, you know, see it a little bit early. Then I found an even earlier showing. Now I'm going to see it on Sunday. So I'm going to get the review three plus days early. Sunday. Sunday I can't wait. I absolutely Sunday. can't wait. God, I heard in this one, he, he sits on a statue <laughs> of uh, L. Ron Hubbard Stop. naked. Uh, I'm seeing it. Is it impossible? I'm seeing it Sunday, and I still have the tickets I had for Monday. I'll probably go to twice in two days. Why not? I cannot freaking wait. Favorite franchise. Let's go. What are your Thetan levels right now on a scale of one? <laughs> oh, God, I love it. Dude, that doesn't weird you out. That doesn't weird you out at all. Tom Cruise's extracurricular activities. I don't give a shit. Art from artist, AJ. Art from artist. Anywho. Uh, Hot Boy Summer. Take us away. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for listening to the Should I Go See It podcast. Please make sure to tell your friends. Follow us on Instagram at Should I Go See It. Uh, 